we are at week four in our series, People of the Way, and our exploration of Christian discipleship. I'm loving this series. Last week, we looked at re-engage and the way of service. Next week, we are looking at the topic of rebirth and the way of new life. And I know you'll want to be with us, whether it's um, here in person or online, as we witness baptisms next Sunday, and as we see what God is doing in people's lives. And today, I'm really grateful that uh, I can share with you this morning, as we think of this theme, Reconnect and the way of walking with one another. We've already had a chance to hear testimonies of what it's like for people to be connected in communities. So thank you also to Srila and to Rick and to Kim for your words of testimony as well and for you sharing uh, your life as you walk with God and with others in Christian community. Well, in the heart of Mississauga, there is a trail near my home. It runs along a little creek, and for some distance, it is removed from the busyness of traffic. And it helps me to feel like I am actually in a quieter place. Like so many of you, our travel over this season has been restricted, but this local path has become very familiar. And for Sheila and me during this unpredictable season, we have taken many, many walks up and down this trail to get fresh air and activity, to enjoy nature, and to have a change of pace, and to refresh our souls. Walking. Walking. It's, it's good for the body. It's good for friendships. And it's good for our soul. Uh, Mark Buchanan ponders on this idea as he thinks about walking, he says, there is a corresponding physical discipline to a number of spiritual traditions. So he walks it through like this. He says, um, he says that Christianity has no corresponding physical tradition, but Hinduism has yoga. Taoism has Tai Chi. Shintoism has karate, Buddhism has kung fu, Confucianism has hapkido, Sikhism has gatka, but Christianity has no corresponding physical activity, even though the Christian community, in the Christian community, we believe the word became flesh and lived among us. But Mark Buchanan, as he teases out this idea, I'm drawn to his thoughts where he says that the physical discipline of walking, which is the oldest and simplest practice around, is a corresponding physical activity to living out the Christian life. It starts out as early in the book of Genesis with God walking in the garden and God calling out to Adam and Eve so that they might walk together with him. It continues in Genesis chapter 5, where we read about Enoch who walked with God. Or in Genesis 6, um, that Noah walked with God. And then we read later in the Bible 
the question. This question that comes out in the prophets, what does the Lord require of you? And the answer is this, to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. The discipline of walking with God. Well, the theme verse to our whole series is Jeremiah 6.16. Maybe you are working on memorizing these words, whether you're doing it just on your own or whether you're doing it in the context of your small group. Hear the words again from Jeremiah 6. This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. I want you to notice in this verse that God calls us to walk in a good way. And the implication is there's also a bad way that you can walk. Jeremiah knew that some people would not choose the good way. So we meet each week either online or in person to encourage one another on the good path. Because we know that our life decisions matter. Will I take this path or that path? Lots of our young adults are looking at their lives that are ahead of them and they're saying, which career will I take? Will I go this way or will I go that way? And more importantly, for every single one of us, our character is shaped by the paths that we take. And Jesus said, the choice of our path are life and death decisions. In the scriptures, there's a difference between walking and wandering. The people of Israel walked through the desert for 40 years. Now, if they had gone directly through, anybody have a guess of how long that would have taken them? Just a couple of weeks. But 40 years of wandering In their walking, they got sidetracked. And this is what the Lord says about this people. In Jeremiah 14, the Lord says, they greatly love to wander. God invites us to say yes to the good way. To say yes means there are times for all of us when the best walk means turning around and walking down the right road. In in our theme verse, there is an ancient path. It's been around for a long time, but maybe it's overgrown. Maybe that path has been neglected, and we can only discover this ancient path by searching and by asking. We're told, ask God for the good way. Jeremiah is suggesting this is a spiritual path, the way of wisdom, the way of peace. In the book of Acts, the Christ followers are simply called people of the way, on the way with Jesus. If you have your Bibles, I'll ask you to flip open to 1 John chapter 1. and We're going to read just a couple of verses there, and then later we'll flip over to Mark 3. But 1 John 1, some of the verses will just come up on the screen too. But in this scripture reading... I want you to understand that in this story, we walk with one another. The scripture reading, 1 John 1, 5-7, This is the message we have heard from him, 
and declare to you, God is light. And when we read that God is light, we discover that there is nothing secretive about God. God has revealed his very character, and he wishes to be seen, and he wishes to be known. If we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Verse 7. This very brief passage of Scripture is telling us something that we read over and over again in the Bible, that when we believe, the very next thing is that we are called to belong. No Christian is an only child. Our Heavenly Father's love is so great that we are called children of God. Paul Tournier, the Swiss physician and the pastoral counselor, said, There are two things that we cannot do alone. One is to be married, and the other is to be a Christian. Some of you have found yourself in a season where you have become disconnected with one another, and you have become disconnected from life together with a group of Christian friends. You've been watching services online, but you've not had the opportunity to pray together or serve together or learn together or laugh together in Christian community. You've been missing out on the place to connect. And for the sake of your soul, you need a spiritual anchor by joining together with a handful of other disciples. My word to you is this, get reconnected. What are you waiting for? Some of you then are new to our church. We know that we see that by people logging in online or people that are here with us in person, that some of you are coming alive spiritually and getting reconnected now in the church. And as much as we have limited seating capacity in our church, there is no restriction for you to reach out and to make a handful of new friends in our, in our Christian community. Right now, Many of our small groups are meeting online. Get connected. And if you are not a part of, our small, of a small group, let me invite you to get connected now. You can send an email to me or to our church, info at mcbc.org, simply saying you're ready to make this step and to try it out with a small group. And for some of you, let me say this, it's a risky decision. Maybe some of you have been so let down by people before. You've been hurt by um, maybe some interaction in some kind of group setting, and you honestly don't know if you're ready to risk it again and to open yourself up to the potential of being hurt. There's an African proverb that says this, If you want to walk fast, walk alone. If you want to walk far, walk together. And I really think that's the heart of that scripture verse that we've been looking at in 1 John. This is the way that we can endure through fatigue, that we walk together and we have fellowship with one another. It's the way that we can press on through adversity. This is the way that we can continue in the race so that you and I might hear the words well done, good and faithful service. Traveling together is what helps us to get to our destination. For me, it's impossible to think of making it through the Christian life without having a handful of friends to hold me up.
So if you're wondering what this message is about, it's this. Get reconnected. Get connected. I trust you know that by now. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. If we walk together in the light, if we pursue the way, then we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. When we walk consciously in the light, when we admit who we are before God and before ourselves, when we stop trying to hide the mess, then John declares that we find ourselves sharing an intimate God life with one another. And then we're able to look at God and we feel clean and pure on the inside because of Jesus. All of this happens when we walk in the light. And John uses an interesting word in that verse. I think it's in verse 7, that word called fellowship. You've heard it before. Maybe you think it's a really ho-hum Christian word, but it's a dynamic one that draws people together in this life of Christ. Think of Jesus calling together his first disciples. He called Peter and Andrew. Who were they? Brothers. James and John, they were brothers. They grew up in the same community. They knew each other well. But Jesus also called people who didn't know each other as well. Think of Matthew the tax collector and Simon the zealot. These two individuals could not be more different from each other. Matthew was a tax collector. That meant that he aligned himself with Rome and was ready to cooperate with the Roman authorities. And then think of Simon the Zealot. Zealots hated tax collectors. They wanted nothing to do with the Roman government. Their whole job was to overthrow the Roman government. And what was it that drew these disciples together. Following Jesus was their guiding principle. What holds us together? Some of us love cricket. Here in our church, we have, yeah, we actually have one member in our church who's a great cricket star. Uh, some of us love soccer. Some of us still have this fatalistic attraction to the Toronto Maple Leafs. Some of us are introverts. Some of us are extroverts. Some of us love our food spicy, Pastor Richard. Others of us want it a little more tame, Pastor Sheldon. And Pastor Nathan, where do you fit on that spectrum? There are bigger things that tug on us still, that, that make us just feel different. Isn't that true? Our community has just come through, our country has just come through an election with very divergent views or families and friends have such polarizing views on the COVID-19 vaccine. It's bringing dissension in families. If we love each other only because we are all entirely the same, we are in big trouble. But if we love each other through our common love for Jesus, then we are building on a good foundation. Jesus alone is our unity. Jesus alone calls us and brings us into the community of the saints. In other words, get connected. 
So, look, what I've wanted to do is just set stage one, part one. And, and really what I wanted to say is this, get connected. But in part two, I want to walk with you on another question. What does God actually do in us as we walk with one another? What will God do? God forms us through each other. That's God's plan. His plan is to shape us into the image of Christ, and it happens through our interaction with one another. I want you to think with me about this little phrase, one another. It's one Greek word called aleleus that's used some 60 times in the New Testament one another. And with this word, there are a whole bunch of commands, actually commands that come out when you think of one another. And I believe that this little phrase gives us a key of how the early church lived with one another. What does God do in us as we walk with one another? And I want to walk with you the steps of just thinking of these 60-odd words and to shape it down into four sections with you as we think about that little New Testament phrase, one another. First of all, it's this, about one-third of the commands deal with the call to have unity with one another, okay? For example, Jesus says, be at peace with one another, or always strive to do good for each other, or be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Now, let me say this. Living life together with one another is wonderful. It's desirable. It is also very difficult. Think of this simple command of Jesus. Be at peace with one another. I have two granddaughters, three years old, and one-year-old. They are beautiful. They are amazing. Um, I can show you a lot of pictures later. And there are beautiful moments when they walk beautifully with each other. when I watch that. You know, I just think, you know, I, I want you to know, though, I am very biased, okay? I have a biased perspective. But tell me this. As I get to know my granddaughters, one year old and three years old, how have they learned so quickly about competition and who gets what? How is it that at this age already, that they have learned to push each other's buttons. The very first story in the Bible about brothers living together is not a pretty one. It's a murder story. And the crazy thing these two brothers fought about was which of them God loved best. What a thing to fight about. Since when does the level of one's spiritual life become a competition and a fight? 
few pages later in the Bible, Joseph is so envied by his brothers that he is sold into slavery. Turn the pages a little further, and Miriam and Aaron are found quarreling with their brother, Moses. And even Jesus' brothers can't get along with him. Every community needs forgiveness. Every community needs to work at this one little sentence, be at peace with each other. Every community needs healing and a place where each person's needs are taken seriously. For every single one of us here in this room, we have felt wronged by people. Some of us, I think lots of us, by our parents, by those who are in authority over us, think of our youth, and those who have had authority will be hurt by our colleagues, will be hurt by our spouses, will be hurt by our friends. Being at peace with each other and working on forgiveness doesn't mean that we forget the wrong things a person has done. Often it's not possible, but to forgive means we release the burden. We bless the person who has hurt us and we wish them well. I don't know where you're at in this journey. Forgiveness is not always quick and easy, and it's more often slow as we take another step on the good way. Another one-third of these one-another verses basically just fit into the category of love one another. This simple command, love one another, is repeated throughout the pages of the New Testament. You're, You're not surprised about that. Think of Jesus working out his strategy to bring salvation to the world. And his first goal, his first goal in bringing salvation to the world, to the planet, to all humanity, Jesus gathers together his small group, a group of good friends, others who were complete strangers. And then he said to them, people will know you are my followers if you love one another. There's an old tradition. This isn't a uh, part of the biblical story, but there's a tradition as people reflect on the disciple John, uh, where John was an old man and his students gathered around him and they asked him, why do you talk so much about love? And John's answer was, because that's all there is. Or in Paul's words, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. When you read the New Testament, it seems the main activity of the church was one another, this one another relationship. The work of God is that we might be formed into Christ, but it's not just for me and me alone. Formation in the Bible is about a community being changed about us being changed together. If the fundamental formation virtue in the New Testament is love, which is love for God and love for others, that means that love is never alone. So the way that you are going to learn more about love is not to go get 10 books and to write an essay on what love is. Maybe you've heard that old prayer where a godly person prayed this. Lord, so far I've done all right today. I haven't gossiped. I haven't lost my temper or been greedy or grumpy or selfish. You've heard this prayer. And I'm glad about that. 
But in a few minutes, I'm going to be getting out of bed, and I'll need a lot more help. Amen. <laughs> the next section of those one another words is about 15% of them talk about living in humility with one another. Uh, this includes verses like, serve one another, and clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. I don't know if you've heard of this Harvard professor, uh, Robert Putnam. He's now an old man. He has spent his entire lifetime in academic research as a political scientist. But he wrote this very academic article, but the title of it is this, What's So Darn Special About Church Friends? Harvard professor. In his research, he found this, and I'm going to just quote a bit of his article. He says, he found this, people with more close friends at church or more involvement in small groups at church or more discussion of religion with friends and family, what we generically call church friends, were systematically more altruistic than other Americans. So he continues in his article, religious Americans, and he defines religious Americans as he says, regular churchgoers, people who are committed to be a part of a community and not just to attend, but to somehow be connected and interacting with each other as he defines it in his article. He says this, they volunteer, oh, they give more to charity, including secular charities, they volunteer much more, including for secular causes. They work more often to solve a community problem or press for local reform. They join and lead community organizations more frequently. They are more likely to give blood or to return excess change to a shop clerk or to offer a seat to a stranger or to even allow a stranger to cut in front of them. Is that you? Wow. Notably, and he concludes, the greater altruism of religious people extends well beyond co-religionists. So he's saying it, this kind of love extends beyond the church and goes to the wider community all around. Do you hear what he's saying? The degree of our connection with a small group makes a difference for how we serve our world. And then there's a fourth category of these one another's. The remaining one another verses are really hard to categorize, but they continue to talk about the ways that we can interact as a family with each other. Um, here are some verses like this. Let's stop passing judgment on another. Bear one another's burdens. Confess your sins to each other. Pray for each other. Start telling each other the truth. This life lived with one another delivers us from the tedious and destructive habits of our lives and change us day by day. God forms us through one another I'm so grateful for my small group and my spiritual friends. When my faith is weak, I can lean on yours. When I stand in need of prayer, it is you that holds me up. 
When I was 27 years old and first started in ministry, I met a woman in our church named Elsie, my church named Elsie. I I thought she was old, being 30 years older than me. And uh, she taught me about the power of praying for each other. Decades later, miles apart, we still keep in touch. Last week I called her just to say hi and to listen to each other and then to pray for one another. There's something really wonderful about praying for one another. But may I ask you, which one another verse is Jesus calling you to put into practice this week? You know, at the end of the gospel stories, we know that Mary, the mother of Jesus, was faithfully attending to Jesus at the cross. We know that James, the brother of Jesus, became a disciple, and he was a leader in the Jerusalem church. Most likely, he was the James who wrote the book of James, brother of Jesus. But in Mark chapter 3, when they saw Jesus' actions, specifically with the crowds gathered around, Jesus' family, uh, verse 21 Mark writes this really interesting little verse. He says, when his family heard about this, about how Jesus was just spending so much time with other people, when his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him. For they said, he's out of his mind. What a thing for Jesus' family to say to him. The family's goal was to straighten Jesus out, get him away. They feel like they practically own Jesus, and they can tell him what to do. And it's very odd that in this story, right here in the story of family conflict, Mark 3, that Jesus introduces us to the family of God. And he says, who are my brothers and my sisters? By following Jesus... He, in fact, is giving us a new community. He is saying, there is a new family here. Whoever does God's will is my brother and my sister and my mother. If you have ever wondered, where do I belong in this world? Is there any place where I really fit or where I can feel accepted or where I feel like I'm truly embraced and welcomed Jesus invites you to come inside and sit with him and a group of others. It's like Jesus is saying, there is a place for you. That's the good news. Jesus invites you. But in Mark 3, you read those verses over more carefully, and you might want to look at this week, Jesus' mother and brothers are described as standing outside. And Jesus' disciples are sitting inside. Standing outside and sitting inside are the two postures. Two different postures that we can take. Those standing outside, they're half-hearted. They're unsure. Those who are standing outside can make a decision to walk away at any moment. And at this moment, we see that Jesus' family was deliberately outside of the teaching ministry of Jesus. 
But Jesus is saying, come in, sit down. The disciples are not doing a lot there. In fact, the only thing that they are doing in verse 34 is this, is that they are sitting in a circle around him. I love that little phrase. I'd never noticed it before, and when I saw it, my eyes opened to the picture of a, of a small group and a community that was gathered around Jesus. Wouldn't you have loved to be a part of that small group? And here it is, it seems that being a sitting disciple is that which prepares them to walk together along the way. Sitting together so that they can get up and walk together with each other. Acts chapter 2, that passage that was read to us, you're going to have a chance to study that more in your small groups this week. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship. What made this community press on to meet together like this? They were so convinced that life is lived with each other each day. Hebrews 3.13 has this little phrase, encourage one another daily. This one another life is to be lived out yet again today even though I've done it yesterday. This love one another command is to be lived out today, even though I've done it yesterday. This bear one another's burdens is to be done today, even though I've done it yesterday. And may God guide us each day as we walk with one another, being formed into the image of Jesus Christ. Friends, let's pray together. Let's join together in prayer. Lord, the most wonderful thing that we can do is to be seated with you in a circle, to be gathered together in Christian community. And Lord, you promise that where two or three are gathered in your name, that you make a firm and solid promise that you are here with us. Lord, we thank you that you are building your church and that you are forming us, but you're forming us not just in a life on our own, but you're actually forming us as we engage and interact and commit to living life with one another. So, Lord, as we have taken time to sit in a circle with you, we pray, too, that you would help us to walk with you and to walk with one another, and to enjoy that fellowship with one another through Jesus our Lord. Amen.